Hi everyone, this is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership. Our guest today is Leon Drennan. Leon is a proven leader who has spent 31 years in the constantly changing world of for-profit healthcare. 10 years ago, Leon left and founded the Vision Leadership Foundation, where he continues to encourage, coach, and mentor business leaders. You're not going to want to miss this incredible perspective on the price of leadership from Leon, who has extensive experience in the for-profit and the non-profit world. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and talk with leaders all over the world about what it took them to pay the price of leadership. And my special guest today is Leon Drennan. And Leo has 31 years of proven leadership in the constantly changing world of for-profit healthcare. And Leon has spent much of his career leading people and designing organizations to to create good work for his teams, what every leader should do. So Leon has operated at the senior executive level at HCA, overseeing an array of functions during his tenure. These include physician services, staffing, design, construction, engineering, real estate, corporate services, I love this, revenue integrity, and internal audit. He developed a leadership platform for generations of audit staff inside a highly complex business engine that generated opportunities inside and outside the company for many of their executives. And currently, in addition to Leon's position as founder and vice president of Vision Leadership Foundation, Leon mentors and coaches business leaders and serves on the board of directors directors at the FCA Venture Capital Partners. And Leon, wow, we are honored to have a leader of your expertise and your grounding here on our podcast today. Thank you. It's good to be with you. You're so welcome. Well, we're going to, I want to drill into a little bit about, so you've been in the healthcare industry for 31 years, correct? I was in the healthcare industry for 31 years. I left that, the corporate structure, 10 years ago. Okay. Start Vision Leadership Foundation, and since then I've uh, worked with a variety of different kinds of businesses, industries, and uh, churches, and uh, nonprofit uh, okay. organizations. And can you tell me what is the Vision Leadership Foundation? What is your work there, and what is what does that foundation do? Well, our foundation is set up simply to uh, uh, train leaders, train and develop leaders, uh, take leaders of all types to the next level. I have a, uh, I will deal with any type of leader that the Lord leads me to, but my emphasis is more on Christian leaders, people okay. in the marketplace or in nonprofits or in churches that are really trying to make a, a, a difference uh, from a Christian perspective. I love it. So you're going to give us uh, your leadership perspective on the price in a for-profit world, but we're also have the blessing of having somebody with the nonprofit leadership background too. And, and I, I'm anticipating there'll be a lot of crossover between the two worlds. Well, there, there, there is um, in, in my writings and teachings, an organization is an organization and the rules and the principles are the same in profit and nonprofit. In a profit, you're trying to squeeze out a profit. In a nonprofit, your your P and L objective is zero. Yes. It takes talent to manage to zero, just like it does to manage to fifteen percent. Uh, there are some special dynamics in a church that are different, but then 
a great number of the principals still work the same, uh, wow. even wow. even in church organizations. Okay, that's fascinating. I love how you put that. So let's go into, my father wrote uh, a little booklet called The Price of Leadership. Actually, he didn't write it. I actually transcribed it from a speech of his called The Price of Leadership, which is one of the top speeches that he gave throughout his career. Uh, He was a a phenomenal leader, a a man of faith, but realized that if you want to step into leadership and wear the mantle, there's going to be a price you're going to have to pay. And I'm sure you would echo that sentiment, Leon. And the first- Yeah, and the first one he talked about the price of leadership was loneliness. And we always hear this, it's lonely at the top, you know, you you believe uh, the Bible, so we see where Jesus at at different parts throughout his ministry was lonely. But can you share with me what loneliness meant to you as a leader and where you experienced it in your career and maybe how you would uh, combat it or what you would recommend to our listeners that are leaders? Well, uh, loneliness uh, basically is nobody else understands what's going on with me right now. Mm. It's, you don't have a comrade up here. You may have a friend, you may have a mate, <clears throat> have a wonderful mate that <clears throat> is loving, understanding, but you run into things as a leader that your mate can't understand. Mm-hmm. You run into things as a leader that your best friend can't understand. Right. Uh, and you run into things, uh, I ran into things as a leader that nobody else could understand. Mm-hmm. I worked in a very, very large corporation. One part of my career was in the internal audit department. I led it uh, before Enron, before WorldCom. Uh, we had the, uh, the, the misfortune of a, of a big federal audit. Uh, and uh, part of the time we were under gag orders as senior leaders not to talk about it. Uh, even when we're good dog about it, there's there's one lead auditor in a company that size. There are a lot of CEOs, a lot of division presidents, and some group presidents, but nobody that's exactly a peer to the uh, senior VP of internal audit. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had nobody to talk to, and at times I wasn't even allowed to talk to people. Wow. Wow. So, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty familiar with loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so loneliness, the next thing that he talked about was weariness. And his point was that whenever um, you're doing something worthwhile, it's going to take a lot out of you. And you're going to have people that are doing more, people that are doing less. That's just, even if you're dialed in with your passion, there's still a weariness that follows that. Can you walk us through what that means for you as a leader? Well, there's weariness from hard work. Okay, you work hard. I started out on the farm. I worked hard all day. I slept really well at night. Uh-huh. You can go into the corporate world and, and work hard and leave it all out there that day and go home and sleep really well. But there's a difference between hard work and striving. Striving is where you, you, you're just trying to make something happen. It doesn't happen. You feel accountable for everybody and everything. And... Uh, You've got an attitude beyond, I'm gonna go in and, and, and do my best and, and work for the glory of God and, and try to help people to where you feel like you have to make something happen. And as you well know, there are, there are times when you can't make things happen. So that is really what takes weariness, I think, to new levels. Jeff Fisher, the former coach of the Titans, uh, is a good friend of, of uh, uh, my best friend. And he says there's positive stress, there's negative stress. And positive stress gives you energy. It energizes you during the day. It may leave you tired at the end of the day, but it doesn't just wear you out. 
emotionally right. and mentally. Negative stress out emotionally and, and, and mentally, and that's actually what kills you. Absolutely. I love Most that. Most major diseases come from negative type stress. Right. Well, I mean, that is so good because as leaders, I love that you said, you know, we have to make things happen, but there are times when you can't. And when you and I know with our faith, it's because God's timing hasn't happened yet, or there's something else that needs to get done first. But I love that between hard work versus striving, because I think everybody listening to this podcast is a hard worker. And so it's, I, I just love the way mm -hmm. how, how you broke down the two different, you know, my dad used to say, you can be miserable, miserable, mm -hmm. or happy, miserable. Life's tough, it, but it's, it's how you carry that burden. Right. Well, well, when I led in the latter part of my career, when I was leading the physician services organization, and that interfaced with everything all across the company, every group, every division, and every hospital, physician services had its thumb in the operations pie. Mm -hmm. So we, on the one hand, we were held accountable for making certain things happen, and on the other hand, we were told what a lot of what we could or couldn't do. Okay. So uh, coming to grips with what we could control was huge. I remember when I first went there, people were working really long hours and they were saying, but we can't, we can't, we can't. And, and I had to turn that discussion around and say, okay, I understand what all you can't do. Now, what can we do? What is the most important thing to do? And I actually changed the rules. I said, I don't want 10 to 12 hours a day out of you. I believe in going the extra mile. So let's work nine hour days on high priority things on what we can do. And then I make a prediction. After we do that for a year or so, and we do it well, then we're going to be allowed to do more. And if we do that well, then we're going to be allowed to do more. And over the course of three years, we changed the landscape pretty dramatically because we simply focused on what we could do that was helpful and that was high priority. Okay, I love that. Uh, but, but just trying to, I could, it was like farming. On a farm, there was always another weed to pull or a cow to milk. In physician services, we could have worked 16 hours a day or more and never, still never been done. Mm -hmm. So cutting back the time, focusing on what we had control over. Because one of the things I had to coach people on the most is let go of what you can't control. Mm. Impact what you can mm. and be satisfied with that. Right. I love that. That is, that is so good for leaders. And that goes right into the next point of abandonment. And what I'm hearing you say for weariness, you need to abandon like the non-revenue generating things or, you know, sometimes less is more. And when you get focused, but what does that, what does that mean to you? How do you stay focused on that? Because a lot of times we just think if we're busy, but not all work is created equal. Uh oh, this, uh, you, you, you have a quote, actually one of the chapters in my book, 2020 Leadership, uh -huh. actually it's titled Less is More. Uh -huh. One of my mantras for years has been, okay, less is more. Mm -hmm. If you focus on a few high priority activities and do those, you're going to accomplish more over the long haul. I'm helping uh, with a, uh, actually a brain health company. Uh, right now, I'm coaching the executive leadership team, and I had a discussion with one of the guys recently on, you're really, really busy, but you're just busy being busy. Right. Okay. We're not making a difference unless we're serving people, helping people, helping people get better. Now, what are you doing today, tomorrow, and the next day that's focused on that? So my whole thing is staying focused on priorities. 
and I set long-term priorities. I set goals for a year that I evaluate myself and the entire team against quarterly. I picked that up from Lee Iacocca when in his turnaround with uh, Chrysler. One of the things right. he focused on was evaluating people quarterly. So uh, I would do that every day. At the end of the day, <clears throat> I'd, I'd, I'd have my to-do list and then I'll have my priority list, my projects. And I would put them in order and then I would uh, uh, put, a, put a red star by the top three. The next morning I would go in and do the same thing just in case good night's sleep made me look at things different. And, right. and I just focus on the priority. Like a sculptor, if somebody's doing an ice sculpture of an eagle, what they will tell you is, well, I look at this block of ice and I cut away everything that doesn't look like an eagle. When I help people and coach people in, in my most recent experience, I looked at everything that was being spent, everything that was being done, everything that was not focused on serving somebody and making their life better and, and generating a fair, a fair price for that, I cut away. And it's kind of incredible how much money gets wasted in for-profit businesses, nonprofit organizations, and, and others that I've dealt with. Oh, I love that. And I think I hear a lot of people say like this whole shutdown, this pandemic has been a beautiful pause for people to really get clarity on what do I really need to do? It's all hands on deck. I cannot waste one penny on something that's non-value added. And, you know, we can ministry ourselves right out of business, like you said, if we don't really watch it. Oh, absolutely. My, uh, my lesson that the pandemic taught some people came uh, a few years ago when I had a, a bout with cancer. So I had to go have surgery, and then I came back to work after a couple of weeks, two days, at a, two hours at a time, then four, then six, then eight. And I found that my real sweet spot was about two, four hours as a leader, doing leadership type things that impacted the future of the organization. Okay. The rest of the time was administrative stuff that, uh, you know, if I could have stayed sick longer, uh, I, I might have been okay because I didn't have to go to all the meetings and, and uh, do what I call feeding the bureaucratic beast. <laughs> I love that. Uh, Lord knows how I feel about bureaucracy too. And I'm like, oh, good Lord. Yeah, it's a necessary evil. But I, I love that's a great insight as a leader to know. Um, so what, what do you do? Do you, do you work to farm that out? Do you, I mean, there's a certain element of the technical stuff that we need to get done, but I mean, I love how you got clarity on two to four hours is your sweet spot for really, you know, drilling into this. Well, well you, 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 if you're part of a large organization, you have to feed the beast. You, right. you call it a necessary evil. Well, you know, I, I was the beast to the rest of my organization. Yeah. Uh, I ran a billion dollar organization inside a $30 billion organization. Okay, so uh, I had a beast I fed, and then I was a beast to a bunch of other people that were uh, feeding us at the top. But we started every year with a clear set of, of, of goals for the organization, uh, usually five to seven. I wouldn't let anybody set more than seven, but, but usually it was in the five range. And then I would cascade those goals down through my leadership team. And I would look at those goals and the uh, incentives down three levels of the organization so that I knew that we were aligned. Mm -hmm. And then, as I said earlier, I would look at with my direct reports every quarter, you know, where are we? Now, one of the main reasons for looking at stuff every quarter wasn't really to be looking over their shoulder because I hired good people that, that accomplished the results. They were 
self-sufficient to a degree. So sometimes I needed to know where the barriers were to know if I needed to volunteer to jump nice. in. Nice. Uh, so I wanted to know where to help them. I wanted to know where we needed to realize. But the main thing was I needed to brag on them. You know, I'm, a, I'm one of those type A type folks that uh, my psychological guru on personality profiles, once he evaluated me, said, Leon, you know, one of your challenges is you're going from one goal to the next to the next, and you don't take time to celebrate. And he says, you got a good environment here. People aren't afraid. They're not looking over their shoulder. They're working hard. But you need to celebrate some of what you accomplish. And I took that to heart. So every quarter, at least, I didn't go more than 90 days without recognizing the efforts of my uh, key leaders and, and bragging on them and telling them how much I appreciated uh, them for the job they were doing and asking how I could help them, asking them uh, what I needed to do different or, or, or better. And then if I had coaching tips for them, uh, I would share that, but I would share it in the context of I appreciate what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I love that. That is, that's for, and I think for a lot of the leaders out here, we're hard chargers. And so we're, we're so far looking in the, for, in the future. And that is a really great point. Stop and celebrate. So abandonment, love that. And then, okay, the fourth price he talked about was vision. And his, his perspective on vision was simply seeing what needs to be done and doing it. And so, mm -hmm. and oh, well, I know what I want to ask you, Leon, back a little bit to the other point. Um, I know you said you were, um, you know, 30 billion beast, here's your billion dollar beast, and then other people. Uh, I've worked in bureaucracies for about 20 years. The last 12, I've been a bureaucracy of uh, one, small, you know, little, small mm -hmm. entrepreneur, entrepreneurial company, entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, so, sure. Yeah. And so one of the things is, um, did you work for a structure? One of the things that I always struggle with when I was in the bureaucratic machine was, yes, they'd set the goals or the, uh, you know, where we needed to go, but it, it, it would seem to change and there'd be competing priorities. Did you guys stay pretty good as an organization or, or were you able to upflow that back? Um, because I'm sure the healthcare industry uh, would change even within the quarter. So how do you, how do you, um, how do you handle that as a leader? What would you Oh, that, that, that's a great question because in, in the ideal world, you plan the next year, a year in advance, you know, in, in the last quarter and you go in with a clear set of goals mm -hmm. and you focus on them. And then uh, particularly in physician services, you know, we have changed because if, if, if it was tough financially one quarter instead of hiring physicians and doing more contracts, then we were the uh, cutting contracts we had uh, uh, set a few months before. So we had to deal with that. And uh, the, the way I kept it in perspective is just I'd, I'd tell the team, say, hey, I know this is frustrating to do these and then undo these, but here's where the company is and okay. here's why uh, these folks, they're, 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 in, they're, they're intelligent folks. They've made these decisions and uh, we need to salute the flag on this. But the good thing was in decision services, we had some of our core stuff, but we developed other initiatives over time. And I always had pilot or incubator projects. So while we would salute the flag on the, on the stuff that impacted the P&L the most, we were always doing something else that was going to add value to the company in the future. Love that. And, and we had latitude to do that. It wasn't high cost stuff and it wasn't highly visible until it got highly important. But I, it helped me keep my sanity and help keep the team motivated to have some of those things that we had control over while 
dealing with the, the uh, requests and demands of the rest of the company that changed directions for us. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I love that. Thank you for answering that because, um, you know, things are going to change. And, uh, you know, some people that are lower in the scale of openness to change, but I love how you, you, you pitched it that way that, you know, hey, they're smart. They're doing this for us. They're not just willy-nilly just saying, I just want to jerk people around and, and uh, we just have to go. And, but we still can control a lot of the future. I love that. And yeah, sure. that we do have to, when it comes to P&L, we do have to all salute because it's not our company. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. They're paying us, so we need to we need to do that. So I love that. Thank you for that, Leon. All right. So again, back to vision. Um, what does vision mean to you, and how do you get clarity? How do you grow your vision? Well, uh, first of all, uh, vision is a, is a is a picture of a better future. Oh, I love that. Okay. All right. We're sitting out in the sun having a team meeting, and the leader says, "Well, let's go over there under that shade tree." out of the sun and it's supposed to be a light shower later so we'll be protected from the rain and by the way we'll have some apples off that tree versus sitting out here in the sun that's an oversimplified example of vision you know it's it's 30 minutes in the future but it's still vision right so leaders cast a vision of something that's better in the future than in the current love it and then as a leader, you say, all right, here's our vision. And then you get to buy into that. Then, okay, well, what are, what do the priorities need to be this next year to accomplish that vision, to take this, this bite of a five-year vision? You establish those as a team. And then you, again, you cast go down those priorities to the various team players according to their abilities and according to their passions. And then everybody works together to, to, to move the ball. Well, that the way you said that is so simple because then you find out right away mm -hmm. if everybody views this as a better future because you might find out some people are entrenched in the way it was before. This is very personal well, sure. or it's a sacred cow to them. And so they're going to be like, and that's okay. But at that point, the sooner you know, they may view that as not better and that's everybody's prerogative. But at least you know then to say, can I... Yeah cast this in a way that you do see it or do you not want to go where the organization is going right right and some people if you do this right uh it was uh bill hybels the big church in chicago maybe sure. church in chicago this uh if your vision is not clear enough to make some people mad it's not clear enough oh i love it and and, and you get clarity on all right we're going this way here's what we want to do if you don't want to do that, if you can't find a role in this that makes you happy, that doesn't make you a bad person. That doesn't mean we can't be friends. Doesn't mean we can't stay in contact. It means that uh, you need to help me and I need to help you uh, land in a spot that lines up with what you really care about. That is absolutely brilliant, Leon, because I think sometimes, and that's where we let that stuff fester and it starts to metastasize and it just, it doesn't go away. It doesn't get any better until you really just honestly look at each other. And that takes the leader and the follower to be honest with one another. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and, and you know, in terms of getting clarity of vision, oftentimes I get clarity in prayer when I get quiet. And uh, uh, one thing I learned a long time ago, there is a God, I'm not him. He knows the future, I don't. Mm -hmm. If I want to know the future, I need to ask. Uh, there's wisdom in many counselors. I ask other people. When I went into physician services, my experience with physician services was my annual physical, which I never looked forward to. Uh -huh. But there were experts there that I listened to 
and they really had the answers. They talked about a lot of things, but when you boil it down, there were, there were a few key priorities that we needed to focus on. Yes. A SWOT analysis. Companies often do SWOT analysis just as a, just as a, a, a kind of a routine planning function. SWOT analysis stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Mm -hmm. But if you do that, do that well, and really take the output from it, that brings great clarity on what you need to be doing. Okay, right. what are our opportunities? Right. Which one's the best to pursue? What are our threats? What do we need to do to defend ourselves? What mm -hmm. are our weaknesses? We don't need to build on weaknesses, we need to build on our strengths. So you get a great deal of clarity when you go through that basic planning function. I love that, I love that, that's beautiful. Man, and I love that, if God knows the future, why don't you ask him, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely brilliant. All right, Leah. Well, I mean, you have just said so many incredible leadership things in just these really succinct ways. I mean, I just, I love this. You obviously are a very seasoned leader. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you would like to share with our guests, uh, which are leaders at all levels that want to be better leaders? Uh, yeah, I'll go back to this, this impact of, of priorities. There are, there are four, broadly, there are four management functions and, and there are management functions or leadership functions, but really even a management function you can look at through the leadership lens uh -huh, sure. which is what i do uh so and, and there's a big difference between a manager and a leader a manager uh directs and controls people in task a leader inspires with vision they guide with priorities they empower uh through goals and then they they for accountability they they uh in, in, encourage coach and correct and then they measure and share feedback with progress, huge difference between a manager and a leader. But let's take the four management activities, uh, which are planning, and then your organization, and then your, your communication directing people, and then control. Mm -hmm. All right, I, I learned a long time ago that there are three of those functions that drive 80% of the results and only take 20% of the time. Okay, so the three things that you spend 20, 30% of your time on that drive 80% of the results are your plan, your organization or your people, and then your control system. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that directing, that communicating and directing, that's only needed a whole lot if you have an untrained or unqualified team. Right, right. So, uh, and, and I, I tell people, I've got a client that, I thought, I says, you know, you narrow it down to two things. If you let, and I was, I was consulted for them. But I said, if you let me impact two things in your organization, I'll move to a foreign country and I'll have more influence over it than you will. Mm -hmm. They said, well, how would you do that? I said, well, give, give me, uh, let me influence the priorities and let me uh, have the control system, the accountability system, and, and I'll impact where the organization goes. Mm -hmm. Profound. And, and, and uh, a lot of leaders lose sight of that or just lose that in the fog, but it's, it's that complicated and that simple. It, well, and that's what's so beautiful about just coming back to the core truths. And I love that you get back to the processes, the strategy, the construct, the diagnostics. You know, leadership, there's, there's this esoteric kind of, it's more art than science, but it also is a lot of science. You know, and so there's a lot of, a there, lot there's, of a, there's a lot of science. And in, yeah. in, in my first book, uh, Good King, Bad King, I started off with the five things that make for a successful organization uh, or a successful team or a successful career for mm -hmm. an individual. 
and five things are purpose. You know, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Uh, that speaks to your mission and your vision. And people, who cares about this mission and vision and who can contribute? And then priorities. Okay, what do we need to do that's really important to achieve the mission and the vision? And then there's power. How do we empower people to help? You know, Moses wasn't a very good leader when he started. Because mm-hmm. Jethro came along, the father-in-law says, well, you know, what you're doing is not good. You're going to wear yourself out and other people too. So he basically told Moses how to empower people. Uh-huh. So we empower people and then engage all of their creativity and all of their energy. By the way, a person's creativity and energy, is, a great deal of it is lost when you're managing versus when you're leading. And then, and then the fifth component is, is progress. How do you set people up to make progress? Well, you got to have a plan. Uh, you've got to have a change methodology. Uh, you've got to document and train. And then you've got to have a, a control system. You measure and, and you, if you don't measure it, uh, the old Jack Welch at GE says, if you can't measure, measure it, you can't manage it. Mm-hmm. So you, you get better through measuring and providing feedback and, and seeing what's working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you unpack one of those statements that really, really struck me because I know it, I felt it, but sometimes like you, you say things in a way and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I was experiencing. You said you, uh, it's so much more draining and I forget exactly how you said it, managing versus leading, that's when you lose your energy. Can you unpack that and explain that so our leaders out there understand this? Well, managers are trying to get somebody to do something they want done. Mm-hmm. And, and I talk to managers, all the time, how do I get, they start off kind of, how do I get people to do this? And then they wind up, how do I make people do this? And I say, you know, my pastor says, if you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer. I said, we're asking all the wrong questions here. If you're having to push, shove, force, coerce, uh, you're managing, you're not leading. Now, a leader, by contrast, is clear about the vision and the priorities. And then they're looking for somebody that has the, the aptitude, the skill, and the motivation or the passion to do something that contributes to the vision and priorities. And when they empower them through, through a, a pre-agreed set of goals mm-hmm. and, and then uh, recognize them, hold them to account, but recognize them, brag on them, reward them for achieving those goals. And if the goals are set right and, and you're making progress and you're sharing that, you have a highly motivated team that is not being coerced and it's people that I get to be part of this. This is exciting versus I have to do this. Love it. Wow. You know, so like when you're hiring, a lot of people hire for, can they do this job for this amount of pay? What I call the five P's of hiring. Uh, You should look at purpose. What was this person created to be and to do? Everybody's unique. We're put at a certain time and place in history under God's sovereignty to do something that only we can do. I read the other day that people spend 80% of their time doing something that uh, somebody else can do. And when I'm taking on clients, I say, hey, if anybody else can do this, you hire them. I'll play with my yes. grandkids. But if I'm the only person that can do it, then I'll talk to you. But, but you have, what were you created for? And then your personality. What are you, what are you uniquely hardwired for? I see so many people put in positions that they're just set up for failure from the outset because their hardwiring doesn't match what's expected of the position. Right. So you have purpose and personality, then you have passion. You know, what do I care deeply about? 
Now, you might have the personality profile to be a good uh, nurse executive. But if you're the nurse executive that lost a teenage son to a, 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 a quality control error in a hospital, you have a different level of passion around your position mm -hmm. than somebody else equally qualified. Mm -hmm. So what is your passion? And then what's your preparation? And then we, we tend to look at college and et cetera. Uh, you know, my, my, my pastor, we tell you, his main qualification for being a pastor was not seminary, but working in his uh, family-owned business and learning how to deal with the public. And then the final thing is potential. Can you grow in this position in this organization? Or is, do you as an individual want growth or you want something more steady? And right. does the organization need you to grow in this role? But oh, that, see, I look at all five things. I've heard it said, people are, are too quick to hire and, and too slow to release mm -hmm. somebody when it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. You spend a whole lot of time on the front end getting the right person in the right position. Then you don't spend nearly as much time dealing with folks that, that don't fit and how to release them and et cetera, et cetera. I love that. And so Leon, you did me the solid of sending me all your books that you've referenced. So where can, where can our listeners reach out to you, contact you, or pick up this wisdom that you're sharing? Cause I'm sure they would love to get the books that you have written and poured more of your wisdom into. Well, all of my books are available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. uh, they're also available through uh, uh, Lifeway, the, uh, the, oh, the Christian resource center Lifeway. Uh -huh. They also distribute all my books. That's wonderful. Awesome. And then how do they reach out to you, Leon? What's the best way to get in contact with you? Well, they can contact me through LinkedIn. Awesome. Uh, they, can, uh, uh, they can contact me through the foundation, vision-leadership.com. Okay. Or they can call me at 615-260-5685. Thank you, Leon. Awesome. Uh, and now, now, if they call me, uh-huh. And I don't answer the phone, which I don't tend to answer the phone if I don't recognize the number. They should leave a message and say, I'm so-and-so, and I'm calling about Vision Leadership Foundation. I want to talk to you about this. And if I get that message, then I will call them back, usually same day. Yep. Your but if I, get a call, if I get a call and no message and, or, or uh, I can't identify the person, then I'm, I'm not, I don't even pick it up typically. Right. I totally understand. Well, Leon, I can't thank you enough for what you shared with our leaders on leadership. I thank you for your insights, the fact that you've written books to continue to share your insight and, and uh, on all the things because you've got decades of experience. And I appreciate your heart, heart for leadership and what you've taught me and all the leaders listening. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So all right. Yeah, awesome, Leon. And for our listeners, please be sure to subscribe to the Tremendous Leadership channel and reach out to Leon. Pick up his book. And if you get his book, leave him a rating on Amazon because that will show everybody else how tremendous it is. And to all our leaders out there, I want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, leave us uh, the honor of a five-star rating wherever you listen to the Tremendous Leadership podcast. Thank you so much for listening and have a tremendous day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.